Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Uh, let's go. Uh, we're going to look at uh, just a couple books uh, real quick. Remember, we're doing this 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 uh, high view of all of these prophets, and we've done prophets and kings for a while. Uh, we did kings kind of in the beginning. We went through first kings and talked about a few things about how you know uh, uh, how Israel split with Jeroboam going north and Rehoboam staying south. And that's between um, you know Israel and Judah and Solomon. Uh, you know, if you don't have a good leader. Or if the leader begins to fail. Because Solomon is one who started off good but didn't end good, if you remember. And Solomon's problem was marrying uh, women of, of different nations that he shouldn't have married. And, and, they didn't bring, and they didn't leave their foreign gods at home. They brought them with him. So sooner or later what began to happen is you know, Solomon began to make uh, compromises and bring in this stuff in. And so he doesn't end well. And because he doesn't end well, um, and because he was kind of hard on the Israelites trying to get them to build the stuff they were building, you know, we, we went over this and how Rehoboam and uh, Jeroboam came together. And then after that, it splits, right? So you got the 10 tribes of the north, you got uh, Judah in the south. And so you're going through, you've got, you know, there really never was a good Israel king. Not at all, not one. Uh, because they all were going, following after the, the thing that uh, Jeroboam started, which was false worship. And they never really broke out of that. So they kept, it was one bad king after another. There's no real good king in Israel. Now, Jerusalem had some, some kings that would start off bad and maybe end good, but then, or end start good and then end bad. And some started good and end good, very few. Uh, and so you kind of got that. Sometimes there's some many little revivals that break out in Jerusalem, bringing, you know, the word of the God back to the temple and getting rid of everything. One of those being Josiah. Uh, himself, and we've talked about that before. Just going through, and and Josiah, Josiah was a mess to false worship because Josiah just didn't kick him out of the temple. You know, jo- Josiah was hacking people up on the high places. He was killing priests, and I, I want to say it's like that, that seems kind of graphic and it seems kind of harsh, but it's exactly what a symbol of what we have to do when it comes to false worship or cultural Christianity in our life. You can't compromise with it, and you can't be silent about it. You got to hack that stuff up in you. Don't hack it up in somebody else. Just turn the sword on you first. You got to get rid of the things that are, are, are really are getting in the way between you and true and right relationship with God. Now, listen, I'm not talking about from a standpoint of perfection. We all know that's, that is our escape route. We're not perfect. I know that. But we serve a perfect one. And his perfection has come to us. And so our goal in, in living a Christian life is, is, sub, is not doing the best we can. You ever heard that? You just got to do the best you can. It's, it's, not, it's not doing the best you can. It really isn't. It's surrendering everything you have. Because you can do the best you can with stuff you're not supposed to have. And think you're doing okay. But when you start the purpose of surrendering all that you have and all that you are to him, that starts the ball rolling in and, and, and purging everything else that doesn't measure up to what you're surrendering to out. Moving it out, getting it out of 
the motions, getting out of, you know, getting those desires that come that you want what you want when you want it and stuff like that. But there comes a time when in the, and some people, I don't think it's necessarily at the same time when I say, I need Jesus in my life and I receive him. I don't think it's necessarily the same point where somewhere down the line where you say, you know, I, I'm not going back. I don't want anything else. He's all I want. You know, sometimes it is for some people. Sometimes people are saying, you know, I, I want to be a Christ follower. They, they may not know exactly everything that it means, but so everybody is faced with that choice, that, that moment of, of who are you going to serve? You know, the Israelites were serving, a, uh, you know, chasing Baal and stuff like that. And finally, they come to Joshua. You know, you know the story. You've got to decide, Israel. Who are you going to serve? If it's Baal, then follow Baal. But if it's God, follow God. But you can't mix the two. It doesn't work. You can't mix the stuff of the world, and you can't mix the stuff of Christianity or the church in with the stuff of the world and expect anything good to come of that. Whom do you serve? And that comes as like a decision in, in, in everybody's life at some point. And it's like, and, and, and that can be about the, the process of sanctification. So I'm not talking heaven and hell or any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about desire of, of where you get to that point where it's, it's nothing else. And when you get to that point of where it's nothing else and what begins to happen is all those things that you used to love, that you saw, thought you used to have, that your closets are so full of this and your basement is so full of this and all this different cover, you just got to have it. All of a sudden, that stuff begins to mean absolutely nothing compared to the glory and the goodness of who he is because he's all you want. He's all you want. And when he is all you want, then guess what? He becomes all you need. And once he becomes all you need, then guess what? You'll go and do anything he wants. Because he's all you want. He's all you need. And you'll do anything he desires. Your desires become his desires. See, I don't want him to necessarily to give me, you know, the desires of my fleshly heart. <laughs> I want him to give me the desires of my purified and cleansed heart because those desires become one as I grow and I move towards him. See, that's the problem when we get stuck, when we stop moving, when we stop pursuing, when we stop going forward, is become, we, we, we think we become satisfied. Oh, you know, I'm in a good place. I feel good, you know, church group, you know, and stuff like that. I feel good, and you know, you, you, start, to, you start to operate from this place of, of comfort and, and, and satisfaction, and then all of a sudden, it becomes unsatisfied and you don't know why and you don't know what's going on. It's because we stop moving and pursuing him. And the reason we stop moving and pursuing him is because we think we've been there and done that. We think we've experienced all we've had to experience. That's why we keep talking about the old days sometimes or the old revivals or all this is because we stopped there and didn't keep moving and growing and maturing in who he is. I don't care if you've been following Jesus since you were five and now you're 80. You have not experienced all there is of this glorious God in whom we serve. You have not been there and done that with him. And so as a, as a body of believers, you know, uh, this body and, and the church body as, as a whole, we got to continue to move, draw close, 
And it's not about the acquisition of things. It's not about making sure I got this right Bible study. Not, it's, not, it, 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 it's you and him alone in your prayer closet, surrendering. There's some things in my life that I still desire. There's relationships in my life that I still desire that, Lord, you've closed the door to. There's, there's whatever it is, there's these things in my life that still every once in a while kind of get a hitch in me. I remember uh, uh, years and years and years and years ago of a, a, a gentleman who was married, but he still had this little hitch in his heart of someone he met years before he did his wife. You think they had some marriage counseling? They needed some? Absolutely. Why? Because when he entered into that relationship with his wife, whenever that was, he wasn't giving everything he had. And so later down the road, there was these things, fantasy, drawing of what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. And a lot of times what we have in the church is the same thing when we come into fellowship with God. We bring a little extra because we're not really sure he's everything we're going to need. It's going to be God and maybe some other stuff. And if I don't allow him to be the satisfier of everything in me, and I take this other stuff with me, what do you think is going to happen as I continue down the road? I'm going to drift because I'm holding on to the things that he doesn't want me to hold on to. And as I begin to walk and try and walk in relationship with him, he's never going to let that go. And one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to allow it to be detrimental in our relationship or I'm going to let it go and I'm going to grow. And so we look at that Israel, you know, it's easy to look at Israel. It's easy to look at Judah and say, well, you're stupid. You walk through the Red Sea, right? You were fed <laughs> bread. I mean, you didn't even have to hunt quail. He brought the quail to you. I can understand if you had to go out and get your bow and arrow and try and shoot a bird. That might be locked up, but he dropped it right there for you to go and get. Water from rocks. All of these things. They've, 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 they've seen the dread of when they were in Egypt of the plagues, right? They've seen all of this stuff. Yet, because they hadn't made a firm decision in their heart of this is who we're going to follow. And see, you can't look at a miracle and, and, and just say, you hear me? People are chasing gifts today and thinking that's commitment. It's just like Israel. You're okay with seeing the great stuff, but you're not okay with aligning your life. You're not okay with putting yourself in the position of humility before God, which is not on a platform, which is actually on your knees. And maybe sometimes it needs to be for an hour. Maybe sometimes it needs to be for a while. Maybe it's sometimes it's, you need to be there and you need to stay there until you get something settled in your heart that he's trying to grab or you're willing to give it or you're willing to let it go. It's not about a, a pastor who is able to necessarily lead you into everything. It's not about a, it's not, this stuff comes down between you and God. And guess what? When you stand before him, you're not going to have any excuses. It's not going to be, well, I, I went to the church you went me to, to go to Kingdom Life, but Steve wasn't that good of a preacher. So it's his fault. Jesus is going to say no. See, you can cast all of whatever issues you are and you can place them on me and you can say it's because I didn't do a good job or I didn't do this. And you can do that. 
but that's not going to work with God. And people do that all the time with pastors or with religious leaders or this kind of stuff. They lay all of their, all of their issues and all of their problems all of a sudden become the problem of the person that's supposed to be leading them because they're not doing a good job. When it really comes down to the fact that I haven't really surrendered to the one. And if I haven't surrendered to the one, I'm not going to be able to serve or love the way I'm supposed to when it comes into community living. Don't get me wrong, God moves people, he does. He's moved me a couple times. But there's far more of people who are, who are trying to become more satisfied with the culture than they are with the Lord. And because they don't reconcile that stuff with the Lord, it's going to be a problem somewhere. And if, if, it can, if the problem can't be you, then it's going to have to be somebody else. And that's where we start aligning ourselves with the enemy and start throwing darts at people. It's kind of the human condition. I mean, we get it from Adam. Well, the woman you gave me. Well, the devil made me do it. People still using that line today. Don't blame anybody else for your choice. You own your choices, and you own the um, consequences of our choices. God is good, and God is love. Don't get me wrong. And God can, you, can, you can make a bad decision and come before God, and God can do a lot of things with that. So don't get me wrong with that. I'm talking about people who are staying in that position and not moving. They've dug their heels in. It, it's like when we tried to move that hog in the barn years ago. You ever seen a, a hog? Uh, he's probably about 400 pounds. We let him get a little big, bigger than we should have. Bigger is not always better, people. <laughs> especially if you're trying to move a 400-pound hog. So we got the things, you know, and, and, and it's just like people. We, we put everything in place to get that hog to go in the right direction. Churches do what they can. Discipleship programs do what they can to get people to go in the right direction. But at some point, if you got a fat hog who has decided to stick their feet in the ground and does not want to be moved, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? It ain't going to happen because I saw that hog turn around in a very small alley and come right at my wife, and she's riding this hog backwards because the hog is not wanting to get on. Yeah, well, it was fun, yeah. I was laughing, but, you know. But people are like that as well, too. Nobody can make you move. Nobody can make you go in the direction. You've got to be willing. You've got to be willing. We're not a social group, Right? It's not, you've got plenty of clubs you could join to fulfill your, the social group need that you have. We're supposed to be a community of covenant believers who are not just in covenant with the Lord, but are in covenant with one another. And I, I, this is not mine. I, I heard this, but I'll just give you a little tidbit of it. A lot of people want community, but they don't want covenant. And it was never designed to work that way. People were in covenant with the Lord, but all those who were in covenant with the Lord were also in covenant with, with one another, which is why they shared everything they had, which is why everything was laid at the disciples' feet. See, we don't understand that because we're fine with 10%. I do my 10%, man. Good. Okay, that's Old Testament. That's great. That's wonderful. 
But you look at the New Testament, I'm not preaching against tithing or anything. I'm just thinking it was much more than 10%. It was everything of who they were and everything of who they had. And they're living in covenant community together. And so listen, if you're just living in community, you can say, well... You know, I'll give a little bit here and there. But when you're living in covenant community with one another and with the Lord, that's when you get to this Ananias and Sapphira, when they lie, when they're supposed to be in covenant with one another. It wasn't just about community, it was about covenant. And they're saying, I'm living in covenant with you. I love you. I love you. But they're holding stuff back. And God, for whatever reason, took an example. He doesn't do this all the time, thank God, or we all be dead. But he does a point right there with Ananias and Sapphira, and he drops them. Why? Because covenant relationship is very close to the holiness of who he is. And when you've experienced the glory and the holiness of who God is, and you desire not to be in covenant and lie about it, things can happen. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, this is not a fear message of God is going to strike you. It's a thing, it's, it's a message that says you will reap the decisions that you make in your life. And I don't want people to make bad decisions. And I don't want people to, to talk about community but not understand that we live in something much deeper in community. Because there are other communities that are out there that have nothing to do with church that are doing good. So you can live in a surface type Community, you can experience the benefits of community, but there's so much more when it comes into covenant relationship with one another. Because when I'm in covenant relationship with somebody, like Curtis, and somebody comes to, to Curtis, sorry, I'll get back, I'm moving. Sorry, sorry, internet people, I don't hardly ever get off the stage. But when I'm in covenant relationship with Curtis, you know, you can, yeah, right there, we're good. I'm in covenant, we are, aren't we? We're pretty much, we're getting there. We're working on it. Okay. So we're in a covenant relationship with Curtis. And Curtis values that relationship as much as I value relationship. Guess what's going to happen? When somebody throws fiery darts at me, Curtis is going to jump in and take the hit. And vice versa. Because covenant is not just in it for the good. Covenant is the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all of it. Covenant becomes this place then where you can be okay to fail. You don't want to, but you don't have to worry about people rising up and throwing rocks at you. Covenant relationship with a group of people is saying, hey, listen, it's not that we're tolerant of sin. It's that we love you so much. And even though you failed, we love you so much that your failure is no longer going to define who you are. Our love is going to define you are because the love that we have that comes from Christ is going to pull the junk out and pull you from shame into covenant community and say, we're not letting go of you. Because in the old churches, we're very, very good at showing people the, the left foot right out the door because you didn't live in a community with us. You violated. See, their, com their, their community or their covenant was based on law, although they called it New Testament. It was more like law. And when you violate the law, you're out. When you violate love, read 1 Corinthians 13 and find out what love does. It doesn't keep any records of wrongs. And that's not a husband and wife thing. Love keeping no records of wrongs is about a covenant relational thing. Okay. I went a little far on that, sorry. It was good, though. I liked it. 
Let's look at Joel. Now, remember, we're taking a, a high view. Uh, the, uh, the book of Joel, I almost called it the gospel of Joel. That would have been bad. Okay. Um, some people would have kicked me out of the church for that. Just kidding. All right. Uh, we're not sure exactly about when Joel wrote this book, obviously, but we know that the same, some things happen. You know, there's this big uh, locust storm that hits them that starts devouring stuff, things that are going on. And so Joel is recognizing that and saying, hey, listen, this is because of the sinfulness. Of, hey, are you glad that at least you're not living according to the New Testament law? Or excuse me, the Old Testament law? I mean, I am. We live under a different covenant than what they did back here. And so here, what, what, you, what you see, because in the Old Testament, it was based on how well you could do it. In the New Testament, it's based on how well Jesus did it. The only person who has to keep the covenant perfect in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, was Jesus. So don't have people live up to a letter of a law in relationship with you that you don't have to live with Jesus. So Joel, look at what he says here. First, some things are going to happen. First, he's going to deal with this issue of, of, of sin. Here's what's going on. You know, call the elders in, in verse 2. Give ear to the inhabitants of the Lamb. Has anything like this happened in your days or even the days of your father? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and children what the chewing locust left, the swarming locusts have eaten, what the swarming locusts left, the crawling locusts has eaten, and what the crawling locusts left. The consuming locusts have eaten. So they're in a bad way. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Their harvest is destroyed. It, it, it's not looking good. And he's, he's saying here, when you go along, this is because of the sinfulness of your lifestyle. It's not something that you did once. It's a decision that you've made of how you decided to live in relationship with God. And what they've decided to do was, is you're not enough. We need this other stuff. Because this other stuff makes us feel good. This other stuff with Baal, fertility cults, going to the temple doing your offering and sleeping with a prostitute so that you could get a good harvest, all these different kinds of things. And so it's not just, it's that type of wickedness is what I'm talking about. It's that type of defilement that they're doing in the temple that God has decided to place his name in his presence. And if you don't think that God is not going to be upset when a people that he has saved, when a people that he has delivered have decided that he's no longer enough and defile the temple of where he said he would place his presence. We don't have to worry about that today necessarily. About defiling this church. About defiling these walls. Because it's no longer an earthly temple. It's this one. Corinthians tells us that, right? 1 Corinthians 3. That he's not... He's not He's not going around looking for buildings made with, with human hands. Now he's desiring this to be the temple. And so we don't have to worry about defiling the church, but we do have to worry about what we let defile this. Because it's just as holy if the presence of the Lord has decided to ride, reside there than anything ever built in Jerusalem. And because of this, because of this type of defilement and things are starting to happen, listen to him. He's like, he's going to go through here. The day of the Lord, he's going to describe that. It's going to be like a trumpet in Zion, the sound and alarm, the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants and the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. You know, he's like, 
He's full-scale prophet mode here. You know? Rah! Kind of like an Old Testament Lou Engel or something. Rah, David! Whoa! You know? He's going, he, he's, but, but then, and, and, and so he's describing what the problem is, what the day of the Lord is going to look like, and then what he called, what does he do in chapter 2, verse 12? Here comes this thing. Here's, there are things that turn God's heart. Very few. One I know for sure. That turns the heart of God. Repentance. Repentance. Repentance will save, repentance in the Old Testament saved some people from destruction. Repentance in the old days saved people, gave people a little bit more time before destruction came, i.e. Josiah. He's like, well, I'm still going to destroy what I have to destroy, but I'm not going to do it in your time, Josiah. <laughs> Whew. Right? There are some things that either keep God from throwing judgment or extend the life you're living. We see that. And as you're looking at this, he said repentance, and even in, under the new covenant which we live in, repentance is, is, is not just a one-time thing of when I come to the altar and I've said my prayer and then I'm done. I can live the way I want to live the rest of my life. That, that's not repentance. You know what repentance is? Repentance is turning and going in the opposite direction of where you were going. And that is not something you can do in and of your own self. That comes is when you come face to face with whom Jesus is. And you've received him. And now you're moving in that other direction. Repentance. And see, what it did is it turned you from the gates of hell of where you were heading before him into the gates of heaven to where he's waiting for you when you take your last breath. In here, look what happens. He says, now therefore, in verse 12, says the Lord, turn to me with your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great in kindness. He relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will relent and leave a blessing behind him? Grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. I, I think uh, there, there's a big, you know, Everywhere in the Old Testament, you know, you're, you're seeing this thing, you know, you got to be fasting, you got to be weeping and praying. And for what? I mean, I can't cry. I'm not a good actor, that good of an actor where I can just cry, you know, on, a, on the spot, think of something. I, I, I can't do that. So where does this fasting and weeping stuff come from? Why do, we, why do they fast and why do they need to weep and why do they need to fast? Because they have to know the full scale in some way, shape, or form of what their sin has done compared to the holiness of who God is and what it's done to the destruction of the relationship that God desired to have with them. Fast, weep, mourn. Realize what your sinfulness has done to your relationship with the Father. Because he didn't desire that. He desired so much more to the point where, my goodness, people, you read the Old Testament and it doesn't look good. But then all of a sudden you get these prophecies that most, probably most of these Old Testament guys maybe not have fully quite understood. Who knows? But you, you get these Old Testament prophecies that are like, oh, there's some hope there. But what does that look like? I don't know. You got 400 years of silence that nobody's saying anything. And all of a sudden, boom, Jesus comes. 
And all of a sudden, everything, every bit of hope, everything that we've read, you know, we, we went to rabbi school, we were taught all these things in the Old Testament, and all this stuff, and who knows what this means, we're not sure, but all of a sudden Jesus shows up, and for a few, everything is put into motion, and they see the fullness of everything in who he is. To the point that even if they don't understand what he's saying in the moment, and other people are leaving, hey man, we don't get this uh, drink my blood and eat my flesh thing. A little too weird, a little too much like maybe Edom, or a little too much like maybe these other things that got destroyed, and we're not hitching our wagon to that. But because Peter and these other guys have, 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 have solidified in their heart that I'm going to follow him no matter what, that's where Peter says, hey, listen, where are we going to go? Who else has the words that you have? Even if I don't understand, even if I don't understand in my limited understanding of where I am, I understand that you are so big that you see the beginning from the end, and that's what I'm going to trust. In every situation that comes my way, on the mountaintop, in the valleys, in the forest, whatever path you lead me on, I know you see my beginning from my end, and I'm hitching my wagon to that. My trust and my faith to that. So he's like calling them to repentance. Come, repent, mourn, weep. Why? Hate your sin. Hate your sin. Because once we do that, once we get to that point of where we're hitting the things of the world, but loving all the things of God. And listen, I know it's not easy. I'm not, I'm not saying this is just a, a switch you can flip. It's, it's something you're asking God to flip in you. God, flip the switch. <laughs> Show me the things I need to see, whether it be in your word or, or whether it be in my devotional time, my face before. Show me what I need to, that flips the switch because I want you. I'm declaring, even though I may not feel it all the time, I'm declaring with my mouth the things that I want. And I want all of me to have all of you and all of you to have all of me. Not so that I can be some great prophet to the nations. Not so that I can do some big things. I just want to know you. I want to be the shepherd, the least of my family, a shepherd boy sitting on a thing, uh, watching sheep and singing songs to God because you're all I need. No matter if all my family doesn't like me, no matter if I'm the least among seven or whatever it is, I've got nothing going for me, but I got you. And sitting on the side of a hill watching sheep, as long as you're with me, is all I need. That's all I need. And you get to that point where you say, that's all I need. But the reality of God doesn't leave you there. He brings you into a company and a group of people who are like-minded and say, hey, guess what? He's all I need. Well, he's all I need. Well, let's be together and let's have it be, <laughs> you know, that's all we need, God. And you're into that relationship together. Hey, man, God's all I need. He's all I need, too. And he's all we need together. God does that stuff. I told you the story when, when I, I broke up with, I don't know which girl, girlfriend it was in the 90s. Some of it's still a blur, but that's okay. It's redeemed. Because you get to this point here in Joel where he says he'll return with the locusts of stolen, right? And he's talking specifically about the locusts that have eaten all their stuff. But there's also a spiritual component that comes to that. And you have, when you read the word of God, it is okay to look at what he's saying in context. But understand that there's a spiritual connection to that that goes further than just what's on the word. Which means that this, that even though Stephen was an idiot in the 90s and wasted a lot of time, but when he could have been in prayer meetings, when he could have been doing, operating the callings of his life, it didn't matter what the church he grew up in, all Steve had to do was say, you know what, I want more of God. 
But Steve didn't do that. Steve said, I want more of me, and I want more of the culture. And so he spent a, a large part of the 90s from 90 to 97 seeking his own will and doing whatever he wanted. And so uh, well, at some point when I broke up with a girlfriend and all the friends we had, they were her friends because I came to Christ. Okay? It's not like they didn't like me. They sure liked me. They just didn't understand what had happened to me. And I'd gotten to a level of a decision in my life where I said, I'm not going back. The old Nazarene church crying out to God at midnight saying, I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care if there's nobody around me. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I am not turning back this time. That was the step and a commitment that I take. It, there's, there's a lot of steps because there's a lot of junk. But the first step was, I'm, I'm not going back. Even if it means that I'm friendless. You know, and, and you feel that way because the crowd you were running around with is no longer with you and you're making a stand that's all your own. But you know what? God doesn't leave you in that lonely place. He leaves you in that place for a while because there's things he's going to teach you by his spirit in those times. And that's when he's got your full attention. And when he's got your full attention, you're listening to everything. You're like, you're like going out to the church at midnight because I just feel like God wants me to do it. There was even times like that here after I'd been with the Lord for a while. Go out to the, there, were, there, were, there were young kids uh, in the youth group that were calling me up at like 11.30 at night. Hey, we want to go out to the church and pray at midnight. Pfft, hold on there, guys. <laughs> God is awake at 8. Right? God is awake at 8 in the morning. Yeah, he is. But when he's tapping your heart like that, there's another decision. You see, he, he enjoys it when his people will, will value him and his presence more than some sleep. He's knocking at the door. It doesn't make any sense to get up at 12. I know. But if you don't get up at midnight to come pray, how do I know that you'll go to a land that I call you to to do what I ask you to do? And some people don't enter into the callings and destinies of their life because they're not willing to sacrifice the, the small things right then and there because they're comfortable. And they've accepted a place of being comfortable in the Lord instead of going further and living. You know, Paul says, I know how to live in much and I know how to live in many. And I'm telling you, I don't think that has very much to do with like, I have a lot of, a lot of things on this side. You know, when I was walking with the Lord, I was walking with a, you know, a fat camelback wallet, you know, full of coin. I don't think it's anything. Listen, I know what it's like to live with an abundance of maybe resources and abundance of fellowship, but I also know what it's like to live here where there's nothing because I have answered the call when the Lord has called me when I've had much and I've answered the call when I've had nothing because I've decided that I'm not going to be controlled by a lot or a little. I'm going to be controlled by him. So whatever comes, I know how to, I know how to, I know how to move. I know how to operate because I'm not being controlled by much. And there are some people, I mean, you know, monastic monks that take vows of silence for years and all this different kinds of stuff. And I, I mean, some of that stuff that you don't have to do that stuff. The glory has to come out of the mouth somewhere, right? You, you've got to preach. But okay, so I'm not going to be controlled by thinking I'm holier than now because I've taken a vow of silence. What it's saying is that I'm going to be controlled by the gospel. I'm going to be controlled by my Savior. And when it's much, it's much. And when it's little, it's little. It doesn't matter because it's always him and him only. I can't wait someday when I grow up and I get to experience this stuff, huh? 
Don't you feel like that sometimes? You're like, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was talking to my dad a while back, and I'm like, Dad, what does it feel like to be 85? He goes, I'll be honest with you, I don't feel any difference in, of how I feel than when I was like 16, you know? I mean, he feels it in his body, of course, but the mind of, of who he is. That, this is why, this is why, and, you know, we think we can do things that we used to do at 16, but we really can't. I was riding the skateboard one time around the house. No, it's the little, not the, no, not the hoverboard. I know that. No, no. I put the cross between me and the hoverboard. <laughs> no, thank you. Now, my daughter's doing great. I stepped on that thing once, and I knew I'd be in the hospital if I went any further. So I stepped back. My man's got to know his limitations. Thank you, Dirty Harry. Okay, so, so, um, I got on that scooter, and I'm riding around, you know, like my kids do, but, and my sidewalk's pretty good. It was a little uneven, and all of a sudden, I didn't see what was uneven, and I flipped over the scooter into the grass, and that, not, not in very much pain, but I laid there, and I'm like, okay, there's a lesson to be learned. And I had two German shepherds at the time, you know, love those guys. And what did those caring, loving animals do? They saw me flip over the thing, land, and like, bar, rah, 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 and took off running and left me there. They didn't even go for help. They weren't even like Lassie. It was sad. At least Lassie would have barked, gone and gotten Michelle or something. I don't know. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about that, you know, you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily feel your age. Why is that? I've, I've said some, some things before, and I'm rethinking them. And some of it is true. It is true, but it, it, it isn't true. And let me reframe. I used to say that, you know, at 80 years of age, it, that's not the time for you to start talking about if you want to be a missionary. And there's some truth to that. If there's some missional things in your life, you need to answer that call while you're young. Yet, on the other hand, God called Moses at 80 and sent him back into Egypt, right? And so, and so there are some things that God does that are irregardless of, of what your age is. You can waste a lot of time if you want to. Don't, don't bet on that. But people, he wasn't just naturally sinning. Moses wasn't on the backside of a desert sinning. Moses was on the backside of a desert because that's where he had to be to be put into position of what God was going to do to him next. He had to sit 40 years learning how to be a shepherd, dealing with sheep. Dealing with family, all these different kinds of things. To the point that he was in a place where he was comfortable. I'm good. Got a beautiful wife, got some kids, got a lot of sheep. God's been good to me, even though I haven't been great. Until all of a sudden the burning bush comes. And what does he say to him? Moses, take the sandals off your feet. Because where you're standing is now holy ground. What does that tell you? Wherever the, wherever the presence of the Holy Spirit lands, God sanctifies that ground and makes it holy. Are you hearing me? The earth is under a curse. But when the presence of God came onto that bush and came onto that ground, all of a sudden it was holy ground because his presence was dwelling there. And so what does he say? Take off your shoes. Why? Why? Is it because I'm so holy? It's because... When you walk in my presence, there's not going to be anything between you and I. Because the sandals are probably a representation of what God had to do when he slayed an animal and gave them coverings of Adam and Eve going out. And what God is saying, there is coming a time when you're not going to need 
those coverings like you did in the old covenant. There's a time that is coming through Jesus where I'm going to take away shame, where I'm going to take away guilt, where I'm going to take away all of those things, and my presence is going to sanctify and make holy the things that weren't holy before. And so you look down here about what's going to happen after they have um, gone through this repentance this refreshing of the land. And now all of a sudden you're going to see uh, in verse 28, the heading is God's spirit pulled out. This is poured out. This is very important. And you're going to understand because they're just going to come to pass afterwards. After what? After the repentance, after the mourning and the weeping, after the time when you've come to, you, to the end of yourself and saying enough is enough. I want you. Forgive me for these things, blah, blah, blah. I, I want more of you. I don't want to operate in the customs of this world or the culture of the world. I want to operate in the customs and the culture of the kingdom. God, after this, what's going to happen? He said, then after that, what's going to happen is I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. St. Joel, it's going to sound familiar to you because this is going to be Peter's message in Acts. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Oh, you mean girls get to play a part in this? Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And my, on my men servants and on my maid servants. See, nobody gets left out when the Spirit pours out. And this is, not my, this is not my saying, but I love this saying. And, and what it says, I, I can't remember who it came from. You, maybe you can help me. Um, but to the church without mixture, he will give his spirit without measure. I love that. I don't know where that came from. I can't remember where it was. What, what's that? Okay. But I love that and I hold on to that because I believe that to be true. To the church who has no mixture, he will pour out his spirit without measure. God, help us to live without mixture. Help us to not be so, so full of, of those things. God, help us. So this is what's going to happen. He goes, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood, fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. So some of these things are being, are being fulfilled now. They're, they were fulfilled in Peter's time because Peter's going to get full of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, hey, is he drunk? Are these guys drunk? Why would they say that? Because something that ha has happened to them that has made them different than, than anybody else. The Spirit of God fell. And when the Spirit of God hit those guys, there was a noticeable change in their demeanor. I'm telling you. And they're not acting stupid. They're responding to the, to the glory that has hit them through the power of the Holy Spirit. To the point where the rest of the world thinks, man, they're drunk. Yet on the other hand, I'm hearing things in my own language. So something's happening that catches an entire, entire city. Till finally Peter gets up and begins to set and begins to preach, and he pulls us out of Joel, and he's saying, This is the fulfillment of what we've been longing for, what we've been praying for, what we've been hoping for. 
that his spirit has now come. His spirit is now dwelling in us, and it's not going to stop there. It's going to get the Gentiles. Now, he's not maybe going to come right out and bring glory to the Gentiles, but we know as we read that the inclusion of the Gentiles has always been on God's heart and mind. Even Paul would say, hey, listen, it was the Jew first and then the Gentile. There was an order in how God did things, but he was never going to exclude people. <clears throat> and so as we're watching these things, as, as we're seeing these things, as we're <coughs> responding to things, that the Spirit of God is desiring to continually pour itself out on his people. If they're willing to pull themselves away from the culture. If they're desiring to move. If they're desiring to, to come off and shake off the things that were of the past so that they can walk in the ways of the Lord. We look at this as an event in the Bible. The Bible never described it as just an event. This is why it continued to happen. Oh man, we laid hand on these people because these people weren't here at when, when the Spirit fell in the book of Acts in the upper room. But all of a sudden we, we get further down the lane and we see these people who, who didn't even, who just knew of John's baptism, right? And all of a sudden we're talking about Jesus and now the Spirit's hitting those guys like it hit us. Look, and, and the Spirit's hitting these other cities in, in, in different nations and, and all these different... See, it wasn't about an event that happened in an upper, upper room. It was about the lifestyle that God has brought to us to live and to walk in. And I know that seems scary because automatically there's so many things of people that do silly stuff. If that were the case, you would have stopped being a Christian a long time ago. Because there are a lot of people doing stupid things in the name of Jesus, and that has nothing to do with, with spiritual gifts. It's just dumb doctrine. And if you're going to use that tagline to say, well, some people are doing stupid stuff, so I'm going to resist this, then guess what? You should stop being a Christian and apply that to your whole life. What are you going to do with the Crusades? What are you going to do with the Inquisition? People do some th stupid things in the name of Christ, but that doesn't stop him from being who he is. And that doesn't stop the Holy Spirit from being who he is. And that doesn't stop the Father from being who he truly is. So what's the, th what's the idea? How do we do this? We focus in on the character of who God is and the desires of his heart for us and then respond as, as he calls us to respond when he shows up in a place. Man, we haven't, we haven't seen the fullness of, of these prophecies filled out yet, even in the Old Testament. I don't know if you know that. Malachi is a... Uh, oh, went too far. Malachi talks about uh, a lot of things, but I'm just going to go to the end. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming great and dreadful day of the Lord. Has that happened? Yeah, it's been kind of fulfilled in, in John the Baptist. Even Jesus said the Spirit called him the Spirit of Elijah, right? All these different kinds of things. And you look at what's happening here. But then they said, 
And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I, don't, I have not seen that fulfilled. I have not necessarily seen the fulfillment of that entire prophecy yet. To where the hearts of all the children have been turned back to the fathers and the fathers have been turned back to the hearts of the children. As a matter of fact, what I'm seeing now more than anything is, is children who are going in the opposite direction for what other reason or another. And so what I'm saying to those, and you know, I, I'm not out of that. But my hope is, is what I'm clinging on to is that, Father, this is what you said. That, that there's going to be a returning of, of, of hearts of children to fathers and fathers to children. And so I'm hitching my wagon to that even though I don't see it. Because what they're walking away from is the faith. What they're walking away from is, is what maybe they were always taught or this kind of, for whatever reason, I, you can't explain it. You don't know. It's part of the curse, I think. But God has declared something different for his kingdom people. And so it's time for us to hitch our wagon to something. It's time to us to look to hope for something. And I'm clinging on some of these things that have not been fulfilled yet in my life. So if there's a prodigal, claim the prophecy. Father, turn their heart back to you and to us. Because you know what begins to happen? There's a whole lot of junk that the enemy gets to play with and tries to do and all that different kinds of stuff. That, you know, but forget the enemy. Forget him. Why? Because we know that Jesus came to destroy the work of the enemy. Not just on the big scene, but in the relationships that we trust and love and, and are desiring to hold on to. So, Father, destroy the work of the enemy and return the hearts of the children to the, their fathers and the fathers to their children and claim those things and release those things and speak those things. Don't sit there and wonder, ah, what are we going to do? Because that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to feel powerless and he wants you to feel like you've got nothing going for you and he wants you to feel in distress and he wants you to feel in hopelessness because of what may be going on with your children. And what you need to do is say, Father, we have not seen this happen yet and we're claiming it. Father, we speak to our children. We speak to those who were once with us but maybe no longer are or maybe they just went up. Father, we're claiming them. And here's what you do. Here's the other thing you do. The Bible talks about sowing seed. So maybe you can't sow seed into your child right now. Sow it into somebody else's. <laughs> sow it into somebody else's. I'm not being silly. I'm not being flippant. You know, we, when we planted an apple tree, it had nothing on it. It was just leaves. How do I know, right? How does the apple tree know who he is? What's that really going to put out? We planted an apple tree, and guess what? We got apples. You'll reap what you sow. Start sowing into the next generation, even if it's not your children, somebody else's, because other parents need help. I've noticed that, you know, uh, my son will sometimes uh, listen to somebody else a little better than he'll listen to me. That's not a bad thing. That's a covenant community thing, and we need that. So I need people who understand 
who love my son and my daughter enough that will say, that will be a voice of love and compassion. Not criticism and not judgment. I don't need that. They get enough of that from the world. They get enough of that from maybe church people here and there, who knows, that don't understand. What they need is people who, who are willing to love. What I need is people who are willing to love my children. And what you need is the same thing. Sow it. Sow it. Because what you're hoping you're going to reap is wherever your children are, if they're not at home, what you're praying for is that somebody with a voice of influence will come along, ordained by God, to speak truth in their life, and they'll receive it from somebody else that they haven't received from us. And all of a sudden, there'll be a turning. It may not be right away, but you'll notice a softening, a desire to connect maybe when there wasn't one. And don't go running in <laughs> with the seventh army. <clears throat> Just receive what they can give and allow God to begin to build. Listen, God is, it, God, one of the themes for that, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain, right? That's what we're talking about when it comes to a, a theme for, for our church this year. It's the same with relationships. Allow God the time to rebuild and to re-strengthen while you're praying, God, turn the hearts of the children back to us and us back to them. Man, there's a lot more victory to see for us as a church. I mean, in the church, the fat lady doesn't have a voice. You know, it, it, it's over when the fat lady sings. She doesn't get a voice in the church. Because <laughs> God is, is a God of redemption. So let's activate that in us. Let's activate that for our children. Let's sow into the lives of other people. Let's sow into the lives of, and, 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 and don't resist it, receive it. And watch what God begins to do. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.